Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back. Another episode. Jonah Siegel here in Seattle. A, uh, an early-ish Wednesday morning. Uh, it's not raining, which right now is a good thing. Granted, we had snow here uh, the other day. It was uh, not fun. But uh, as, as we, you know, ease or slide or move into Christmas holidays, which is really hard to believe given the pandemic, because half the time I have no clue what day of the week it is. Um, super excited to have uh, someone who, I, who I've been fortunate to have a Twitter relationship with over the years. Um, does incredible work up in the, the wonderful state of Nevada, which has tons of relevance, an amazing career and background in Canadian, in Canada media and Canadian sports media and certainly in hockey. He is the, the title is the Vegas Golden Knight Insider, which is a, a title we will discuss, but he does a hell of a lot more than that. He is their radio color person. In addition to doing tons of TV segments, he is uh, joining us, I think, from Vegas this morning. He is none other than Gary Lawless. Gary, how are you? Hey, great. How are you, Jonah? Awesome. Am I finding you up in, in Vegas this morning? I am. Yeah, we um, have been, you know, basically I haven't left. Uh, I have a place in, uh, in Canada, but uh, last, you know, when we, when the pandemic, when the season paused in March, my daughter um, was in school and then they put her in uh, distance education uh, for the rest of the year. And then her and my wife went back to our, our cottage in Manitoba and spent the summer there. Um, I went, uh, I, I couldn't really go because, you know, when they went in June, we didn't know when the season was going to start. And then, um, it, you know, it just was kind of, we were in purgatory for such a long time, but you needed to be ready to go. And we were producing a ton of content um, uh, for the Golden Knights anyways. So I was busy. And then, uh, then school started and uh, they came back and uh, my daughter has been at her school. She's been in class, um, which has been uh, a major blessing for, for her and for our family. That's been, uh, that's been fantastic. But, uh, um, you know, it's just been kind of a, and then, then the season started, we had, uh, and the Golden Knights went to the conference final. So it's been weird. It's been, I've been working, but uh, there's been gaps when there's been no hockey, but there's still been stuff to do. And, uh, I've been in Vegas basically uh, since um, uh, since last March. So uh, really excited to talk to you about your your background. You know the overall media business. You know bringing the Golden Knights to life, if you will, the success they've had, and then obviously uh, how you apply that lens to what's going on here, or what's not going on here, or even better, what hopefully will start to go on here in Seattle as the uh, the Kraken get cracking. Sorry. Uh, that's awful. Uh, today's today's show is brought to you by the Believe Pod, the Believe Podcast Network and uh, BetOnline.ag. NBA, college basketball are back. So are the World Juniors, by the way. The NFL and college football playoffs are right around the corner. Uh, with all these things going on, there's plenty to bet on. Lots of sports on TV all of a sudden, which is really great. Uh, the Lakers playing. The Raptors are playing. Uh, otherwise, you know, there's there's Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. Tons and tons of sports content. We thought we'd be living in uh, the abyss right now, but lots of things to to, uh, to gamble on. I heard yesterday, by the way, that you can wager today on 
whether or not Charlie Woods, who is 11 years old, will ever win a Masters or whether he'll win a, a pro tournament before turning 21. Um, for game spreads and totals to team players and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. There is an online casino if that's your thing. Go to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. I was See watching. You. I was watching the the, the tournament with uh, what was it, the PNC Open, or whatever mm-hmm. they call it. Yeah, and you know they were interviewing Tiger, and he, you know he was talking about trying to shelter Charlie from a lot of this stuff. And then you just make that comment to me, uh, and in you know. I don't know Tiger Woods. I don't know Charlie Woods, but you know, he's a little boy. Um, I have to tell you, I have, I have concern for him and what it's a hard road to hoe. And uh, obviously the kid, it's very clear. He's passionate about golf. He's going to want to be a professional golfer. Um, And that pressure, you know, that he's 11 and they're, and they're taking bets. Uh, on whether or not he's going to win a Masters or not is, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I think Tiger has, obviously, he's got, he's got the, the resources to try and, and shelter that, that kid from a lot of it. But uh, um, it's a scary proposition in today's world uh, with social media, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, um, I hope things go well for him because uh, he seems like a real nice, sweet little kid and uh, got a hell of a, hell of a golf swing. I mean, I do wonder, I I don't disagree with you at all. I do wonder if the one part of the media that has stayed kind of tried and true uh, through generations, I actually think they're better at it today, even than they were yesterday, is on, on many fronts, the media does leave people's children alone. Yeah. Um, we did not hear very much, if anything, about Baron Trump. Um, and we heard enough about his father and his, and his mother and the rest of the family. But, I, you know, I think, I think the media has done a pretty good job of, of leaving kids alone, which they should. Yeah. Um, I, I, listen, like, would we, the media would love to have this kid on TV every weekend because it'll do wonders for ratings. Hopefully we won't see him again until it's time for this tournament next year, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And he will be afforded the opportunity to be a regular, as regular an 11 year old as humanly possible, given who his parents are. Um, But uh, yeah, I think it'd also be a little bit different because he's not playing a team sport. Um, but man, just listen, having, having that name on the back of the jersey is going to make life difficult, right? He will inevitably be compared to his father forever, um, no matter what he does. And that is always a difficult, uh, a difficult thing to, to live up to one way or the other. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So you've got, you know, amazing background. Like you're, you're such an interesting guest to have on the show. Um, and he spent 18 plus years in Winnipeg. Um, I'm not sure there's a, a major, there certainly is not a hockey event in the world that you haven't covered. Um, and then you throw in some Super Bowls and some Grey Cups. 
um, World Juniors. I don't know if you did any Olympics. Lady, I went I to Sochi. Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, don't know if you've if you've done anything in in baseball, but certainly or basketball, but certainly, um, you know, working for the Free Press in Winnipeg, uh, and then you know you're having a radio show. I think that started around 2006, Hustler and Lawless on TSN 1290. Uh, was one of was well known as one of the best uh, radio shows in the country. Uh, in a different era, it would be streaming and, and it would probably get a lot more notoriety today. Like you've done it all and you've seen the business really change. Um, so it's awesome to have you to have you just in general as a guest. Well, I have been a fan of uh, the Toronto sports media uh, blog site. I'm not sure what you, uh, uh, how you brand it, but uh, it's uh, neither am I. Yeah, it's always been fascinating to me, and I've, uh, uh, you know, I, I Dave Naylor was the first guy to kind of, you know, um, turn me on to it, and he was um, had just been moved over from his CFL insider role to do radio, morning radio in Toronto, and. Uh, you know, you were obviously a, a keen observer of how that was was going to go and how it went. And uh, um, Dave and I started talking about uh, uh, about what you were saying and writing about uh, about his show. And then I started what uh, started logging on myself. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. So I'm really excited to join you today. So you know, it's nice to, it's nice and refreshing to hear two media members who actually. Uh, do admit that they they pay attention. Listen, like think, I think what's what's allowed us to stick around is one. Uh, we don't do this for pecuniary gain. We do this because we're passionate about the business. And two, uh, almost without exception, uh, it's never been personal. And, and to me, it's it's always been about trying to be fair and balanced in in our coverage. So it's not personal for you, but I bet you it's personal for a lot of the media members. With, has has a has a uh, business or has a group of people. Uh, it's amazing how thin-skinned uh, we can be, myself included. You know, we spend. Uh, when I was a columnist, my job was to was to be critical and to you know to say uh, this GM was uh, doing a terrible job or this coach should be fired or. You know, I have fired a, a, a handful of people in print and uh, um, never liked it when someone said something bad about me on Twitter or, uh, or, or critical. And that is the one thing that I think, you know, that should be really said about, about your work. It isn't personal. There isn't an agenda. It's always, yeah, this is, these are the ratings and uh, this is what they do well. This is what they don't do well. And this is, this is what I think they should be doing, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, um, I think it's actually a really, if, if I was still a member of the media and I'm not anymore, I'm a, a content provider for, for the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that I would be reading your site to figure out what I could do better. Well, appreciate that. Listen, that, that is 100% the goal. Um, our, our, we have a, certainly have a unique relationship with various members of the media um you know i think steve simmons is 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 either famous or infamous for saying you know like i think it was paul beeston or, or other somebody else used to say to him about his sunday column the only thing worse than being in it is not being in it um 
the beauty of the business today is, uh, with the exception of some paywalls, no matter where we are, and I'm out here in Seattle, uh, I can listen to and watch and read content all over North America on a regular basis and, and comment on it. And the first thing I have to tell a lot of people is that we don't, we have zero interest in talking about the games. There, there's tons of people out there that get paid really good money, hopefully, uh, to do that. N nobody really cares about my, my belief or my feelings because I'm nothing more than a fan. On the media side, I, I do like to, to hold people accountable and, and heap praise where it's deserved. And, and we try and do that most of the time. And then the other time we're trying, you know, just keep people accountable. And, you know, the last part of it is, I don't know why I feel this way, but I do. I have a very strong passion for the actual business side of it. And recently that has focused on employment or lack thereof and, and trying to ensure that uh, people in hiring positions there know that good people are available and that we all are paying attention to what these companies are doing with their employees uh, to ensure that the business stays strong. And, and we, we feel very strongly that that's important. So we write about that a lot. Well, so, for good reason. Yeah. Excellent. Go ahead. So, you know, like if you, the, the world has, has shifted dramatically um, in the last nine months and, and, and media is no different. And, you know, you used to, you used to host a radio show. I don't think you host one there, but you're on the radio a lot. Um, the, the world of, you know, getting into the car pre, you know, before work, after work, you know, going out somewhere in the car is dramatically changed. Listening habits, you know, everything now streams as you look at the market today, and, and, and thankfully, I think today they announced another 100 million vaccines going to hit the country before the end of the summer. We are going to go back to normal-ish. Where, where do you think the, the media market is going um, as a listener? I mean, you know, is, is radio here to stay? Is everything going to go streaming? Like, what are your thoughts based on what you know of the business? You know, just best guess, hypothesis, if you will, on where you think things are headed. Well, I think there always will be radio, uh, uh, you know, I mean, because you do get into your car uh, and we will get, get back to that point where we're getting into our cars and uh, um, it, uh, you know, the, the, the weather, the traffic, uh, you know, updates, all of those things that radio does really well, it provides a service. I, I, I walk my dogs every morning and I download load a podcast uh for that for that walk uh and it's you know invariably uh hockey central at noon from uh from Sportsnet up in canada or um certain days i don't like as much as other days it, it's uh leafs lunch uh from uh from tsn although I, i'm not you know i don't want just leafs news so that uh uh kind of leaves me lagging. Uh, I get in my car, I play NHL serious uh, quite a bit. Uh, there's a couple of programs on there that I think do real, a really good job. For me, here's the key. There will always be listeners for good content. And uh, I, I think you have more choices and um, you know more places to go. I think the advertising dollars will, that dictates what, what gets produced. 
and they're going to follow the best content. So, uh, you know, obviously the guys at Barstool have figured something out with spitting chiclets and it's, uh, it's a huge success. I, I think I read that the, the revenue at the ringer, like 80% of their revenue comes from their podcasts. I might have that number wrong, but it's a, it's a, it's a disproportionate number. Uh, the, the, their revenue comes from their podcasts and then they use that revenue to fund a lot of the other stuff that, that they do. And so obviously, you know, we're, what I've read that, you know, the podcast market is, you know, it just keeps going up and going up and very soon will be, you know, several billion dollars uh, globally a, a year. And that's, uh, um, that's a massive number. So, uh, you know, the other, the, the RSN business, I think is really fascinating because right now it's the way most of us watch our hockey games. Um, and uh, uh, where that goes, you know, will, will that turn to streaming? Um, uh, you know, it, I, I couldn't figure out how to stream a hockey game myself right now. Uh, if it was, but uh, you know, as we get, uh, I know how to stream that. Uh, I know how to watch, excuse me. You'll have to edit that. Um, I know, uh, I know how to watch something on Netflix uh, or prime or whatever. So if they, you know, if they make it that easy, why not? Why not uh, uh, have games streamed uh, to, to your television? So I, I like, I, that, I think the business is, certainly in flux as you as you've noted and um you know like it's a weird industry in that canada is the best example because you have two telecom giants that uh that rule sports media they you know they own uh they have the rights to all the hockey games and uh and they have the rights to you know if you want to watch the masters in canada you go to tsn if you want to watch certain tennis tournament you go to to rogers the blue jays the raptors the leafs um and then all the regional all the regional games are on those places uh, and then all the radio is controlled sports radio is all controlled by those guys as well and so many of those decisions get made by a, a phone company executive and it, it's not about uh, and that's dangerous for me you know, you look at what Sportsnet did in in their decision with McCowan, uh, and then Kiprios, Shannon, Millard. Uh, like these are all people that you tune in or turn on to watch. And for you know, some guy just you know looked at their salary on a, a on a spreadsheet and said that guy's got to go, and they made those decisions. So. Um, it's it is fascinating and and which president of a media division can manage up and handle the phone guys the best that's like you know i mean and Stuart johnson has done a brilliant job at tsn because their product you know they haven't they haven't gutted their their on-air product at all they haven't uh you know they've kept bob mckenzie around they've kept darren drager matter of fact when they lost the nhl rights they kept all their talent, Ferraro, Duffy, all those guys. They've Stuart Johnson, 
Mark Millier, Ken Bolden, those people, they've done a fantastic job over at TSN. Well, they don't have the albatross of the NHL deal, right? Um, that's I was in Regi I was in Regina that night, Jonah. We were at the Grey Cup, uh, twenty thirteen, I think it was, and it was really weird because there's a rap party after the Grey Cup that you know TSN. It's their biggest event of the year. They put on this huge event. Paul Graham uh, does a brilliant job of, of of running that, and all of a sudden. Those guys I mentioned, Johnson, Bolden, and Millier were gone. And I think they had gotten the word that night that they'd lost the rights. And working at TSN, or I, I, I wasn't working full-time at TSN then. I was a columnist at the Free Press. I, was, I had my radio show on TSN, and I was doing a lot of freelance TV there. What was going to happen to TSN at that point in time was, uh, you know, that was fascinating. And... They, their strategy and what they did, I, Stuart Johnson apparently, you know, famously said in a meeting, you know, I've got $5 billion to spend on other things and I'm, and, and I'm going to spend it. And they did. They went out and got all those, the rights to all those championships and they kept their hockey uh, division together and they kept some regional rights. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the numbers, but I bet you they're more profitable now than they were when they had the rights. Well. Wow. I've said this and I've written this before. I'm told that this idea, the idea that of the deal coming to fruition the way it did originated at TSN, that they pitched something similar to the NHL, not exactly and certainly not as devastating to the CBC. Uh, and Gary in turn took it over to the folks at Rogers and, and they upped the ante dramatically. And I'm told that the numbers as TSN ran them would not see them making money till year seven or eight of a 10 year deal. And Roger's numbers blew those numbers out of the water. And look, like I, th I think that the seismic error was thinking that the NHL is to Canadians what the NFL is to Americans. And given the number of teams and the number of games each team plays, and you know this based on the market that you're in, right? Like not everyone sitting in Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver is gonna be all that thrilled to watch some random Tuesday night game versus, where the outcome is rather immaterial and it has no bearing on the market. Um, yeah, who, Columbus, Nashville on a Tuesday night. So, so I, try, I try to avoid, because I always come to those two teams. So I'm going to try and avoid saying that, but <laughs> no, but that's exactly it, right? Like, um, I, I watch that game. Like I have the package and, and but I work in the business. It, it's what I do, right? So, I, so I watch that game, but um you know, uh, Sally Johnson, uh, who gets home from uh, her law practice and uh, makes dinner for the kids and then gets them to bed and, and opens a glass of wine, a uh, bottle of wine. That's not what she's watching. Um, uh, you know, she'll watch her Jets or her Flames or her Oilers. But yeah, the, regional, the regional games are very valuable in Canada. 
Yeah, unless unless it's the playoffs or something like, you know, the second end of a doubleheader on on a Saturday night, you know, like unless it's that huge Edmonton Calgary game that you'll watch out of the corner of your eye, like Joe fan is just not going to be all that interested because, you know, there's just a ton of other content out there. So I think that was the miss. Um, it's going to be fascinating to watch what happens now. Um, you know, Seattle is going to come into the picture and the NBC deal is up. Uh, I think what's lurking underneath the Seattle franchise and the, and the naming of the arena up here is this tiny little company you may have heard called Amazon, uh, who does have its own streaming service. Uh, I think digital rights while negotiated before are going to be much more valuable. And it would not surprise me to see the NHL try and take a leadership position in the streaming of regular games uh, as, as a medium, in addition to cable. Um, but let's, let's pause that for a second. I'm curious about one thing, because you spent a, a boatload of time in print. And although we all think that print has gone the way of the dodo and there's no bigger fan or promoter of, than the athletic than I, I think print has had a bit of a uh, resurgence here. And I'm hoping it's not just an Indian summer, but over the last several months, a lot of newspapers especially in Canada as it relates to sports and hockey, have just been doing amazing work. Um, the Star and the Sun specifically have just been pumping out really good content on the sports side, um, high quality and, and high volume. And we really thought that this was going to sunset and they've really made a resurgence. What's, uh, what's your take on that? Because we, you know, we talk about radio, we talk about TV, but what about you know, traditional reading content, if you will? Yeah, well, I've always thought that, you know, you needed a, 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 really good, a really good newspaper to cover your town, to cover your city council meetings, to watch your police, uh, to write about your hospital boards, your education boards, and to write about your, your, your teams um, and your amateur teams, your, you know, you, you live in... Seattle, you want to read about Seattle. Well, who's going to tell you that story? I think newspapers tell the story of communities better than anywhere else. And COVID made it really important to know what was going on in your community. And uh, the athletic, you know, uh, doesn't tell you, um, like, you know, this is, per, this, this is, this pertains to sports, but, you know, it, like some markets, They've done a good job of, you know, of, of covering everything that happens there. You know, Russo does that. Uh, uh, Portsline does that. Um, you know, I'm going to insult somebody by missing them. You know, they've got a bunch of people in Toronto. So, uh, you know, uh, that market gets served in that manner. But I, I still think newspapers do, do a better job of getting everything, a little bit of everything than anybody else. And, I, I, you know, I mean, I think that, so the res I, I think subscriptions are probably up. That means advertising goes up and then, you know, that money gets filtered down and eventually it hits the toy department. And, uh, you know, there was also an opportunity. I think a lot of people thought 
we have captive audiences right now. Let's serve them. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, listen, I, I'd be really happy to see a renaissance um, in newspapers. And, uh, you know, I know that the newspaper in Vegas, uh, the Review Journal, I get it. Uh, and uh, they've been, they've done a great job on COVID. They've done a great job on the Raiders. They hired people to, you know, to cover the Raiders. Um, and they do, uh, they do a solid job on the Golden Knights. And you can get you get a little bit of everything from it, so uh, um, it'll be interesting. I, I you know from the moment I got into newspapers in uh, 1993, they were telling me that uh, it was going to be the end, and uh, every newspaper I ever worked at is still in uh, is still operational and uh, and 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 currently thriving a little bit. Now thriving with you know when I got to the Winnipeg Free Press. There were, I think there were a hundred, a hundred people in the newsroom, like, and eighty of them were, you know, seventy-five of them were reporters. They, they, they don't have, they're not anywhere near that number anymore. Uh, and uh, it, you know, will they ever be what they once were? I don't think so. But they've, 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 they've adjusted their business, and uh, uh, still, you know, if you if you live in a small town, the publisher of that of the newspaper in your small town, he's he or she is a rich person. They make money in those places. So do you think that uh, that print sticks around long haul? Like, no, you know, not, I, I don't, no. I, I can't, honest to God, uh, I was in Barrie, as you know, this summer. So there was a couple times where my parents sent me out to go pick up the Globe or, or the Post or something on a weekend because yeah. they read a physical paper every day. Yeah. I haven't bought for me a physical paper in years. I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal online. I subscribe to the Athletic. Uh, about to subscribe to the Washington Post. Um, I don't subscribe to any print. I don't subscribe to the Seattle Times up here. At least not yet. Uh, I found no reason to do so. Um, do you think the answer is the, the answer is no? My daughter, she's ten. Yeah. You just it will it would be abhorrent to her to on, on a on a um, uh, ecological level, an environmental level to uh, to subscribe to a, a physical paper. So it, w everything I do is online. I, the right. review journal. So you don't get so you you don't get the physical paper when you say you get it. You you read it no, online. No, I, I read it online. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like I like print is, um, you know. Just think about that aspect of the business, uh, the the people required to uh, to physically print it, the people required to deliver it, and then the cost of uh, of newsprint and like <laughs> those printing presses, like you're talking about million dollar pieces, like multi million dollar pieces of machinery that have to be maintained and replaced and. No, like just rip that that front end of the business right off, and just have people people developing great content uh, and posting it online. And I, and I think they do a terrible job online. I think they really have to. Not everybody, but lots of them. They have to examine, you know, the the aesthetic how, and how they how they deliver it, et cetera, et cetera. I think all of that has to be, you know, they need new thinkers. For that part of it, but I don't, you know, I I don't think that we'll be buying newspapers in ten years. 
not very many. It's funny. I, um, you know, it's just, I'm a TV watcher or, or a streamer, if you will. There's an un, there's two shows that aren't getting a ton of attention on Netflix right now. Um, one is about the Atlanta Olympic bombing, the Richard Jewell story. Yeah, I've watched one episode. It's, it's excellent. So the one that's actually, that one's phenomenal. The one that's actually better is the one that preceded it, which is about the Unabomber. I haven't um, seen that, Kaczynski. And have you seen that? Have you seen no, that? I haven't. No, but I, I'll, I'll go look at it now. So what's amazing about it is I'm not giving, like, listen, all these things are true stories, but what's amazing about this is at one point, um, the FBI is trying to nail Kaczynski. They, they, they have his name, but they don't know where he is. Uh, and they've done using technology then, and, and we're talking a long time ago. Um, but they're, they're trying to find him and, and lure him out. And they've, they've decided that he's in the San Francisco Bay Area. And if you, I'm not sure if you remember this, but you know, he had this manifesto and he had come forward basically saying that if a major newspaper didn't publish it, i.e. the new, and he names them like the New York Times, um, he was gonna set off another bomb. And uh, immediately, Penthouse Magazine came out and said, or Hustler, one of them said, we'll publish it. And he rejected that. Uh, and the FBI goes through this whole process, I assume that it's true, um, where they decide to do it in the Washington Post because there's only one newsstand in San Francisco where you could buy it. And just a really telling snapshot of time because yeah. if you remember when, when Borders and Barnes and Nobles became really, really big, um, in that era of, you know, like the early 2000s-ish, one of the things that they brought to life and, and one of the things that I did at Starbucks was they started to bring major news publications to different markets around the country. It hadn't happened yet. Uh, the internet was around, but it certainly wasn't as public as it was now, you know, dominant as it is now. It's not yeah. public. Uh, it's always been public. Um, but just an interesting transition that they talk about that then and how different a world it is um take a deep breath for a second here you know it is snowing in toronto and there's tons of stuff that needs to be done around the house uh my favorite company there to use is jiffy on demand they have an incredible app if you or a loved one can't get out and say shovel the walk they do that for you it's really the easiest thing in the world if you're not handy around the house and you have services that need to be done for you or a loved one jiffy on demand is the place to go when i live there i use it all the time Right now, I can get you $25 off your first order. Use keyword save. You can get the, you can find them at jiffyondemand.com or in the, in your favorite app store. Highly recommend you go to my friends at Jiffy On Demand. It is awesome. Again, use keyword save for $25 off. So let's, let's pivot now. Um, so you, you're in Winnipeg, you do all this stuff. You have a great presence. You're known as an insider. Uh, you know, you've played in, in, in hockey, you've played in, in football, both NFL and CFL. And then you get the really cool job of moving to Las Vegas um, because they're getting a hockey team. Uh, interesting time when that was going on because there was some talk about some other markets getting one, Seattle as well. That didn't come to fruition for a whole host of reasons. Um, but you land this gig in, in, in Vegas 
you know, you have, you are the insider. So you, so you're responsible for some web content that they produce. You do color commentary on radio. I understand that you do some pre and post as well. I think that's on TV too. And you also have like a, a first intermission bit that you do on television. So you clearly are to a certain degree, the voice of, of the nights. And I put voice in quotation marks. Um, what was it like going to the market and, and what was kind of your purview mission goal uh, and how soon before they started playing did you get there? Well, I got there um, prior to the expansion draft. So, uh, and about, uh, I got there on June 7th of 2017. I actually know it was my first day of work. Uh, and uh, so I was there for, you know, that whole summer. Um, my wife and daughter stayed in Canada at the cottage and I lived in a hotel for a good portion of it. And it was so much fun. Like it was like breakneck speed. Like every day there was something to do, um, you know, you know, draft, the expansion draft, the amateur draft, hiring coaches, signing players, uh, you know, jersey reveals, uh, you know, then, then finally having games, preseason games. And then, you know, there was just, it was, that was really exciting. Um, and I, my career was at a really good place in, uh, in Canada. I was, uh, a radio show was uh, that, my, that my partner, business partner and on-air partner, Andrew Hustler Patterson and I, that we had started and, and developed, it was, uh, it was top rated and, you know, we were, had a really good reputation and we got great guests. It was a lot of fun to do. Um, this radio station had the rights to the Winnipeg Jets. Um, I was doing a ton of, uh, of television work on the CFL and on the NHL, uh, Jets games, uh, that hockey. I would, you know, Gino Retta had really started to use me a lot on that hockey. Um, uh, they were starting to, the Jets were good. So Sports Center wanted stuff from them. Uh, you know, it was things were, and I was writing columns. And Steve Dryden, who uh, the two guys I worked for at TSN directly, Brett Bailey was on the CFL side and Steve Dryden was on the NHL side. Steve was the editor of the hockey news. Yeah, for a hundred years. Yeah, and uh, is an excellent editor. So, and I was working with him uh, basically on a daily basis, uh, you know, phoning him in the morning and saying, hey, I want to write this to me. Um, and... Uh, you know, uh, I'd get up at uh, 5.30 in the morning, Winnipeg time, because it was 6.30 in Toronto. And that's the one time I could get them for 15 minutes and kind of really hammer out what we wanted to do. So anyways, they put a, they'd put a DeGero in my house. Uh, they were going to put one at my cottage. Like it was, you know, it was great. And we loved Winnipeg. There was, uh, I was, uh, full disclosure, I was completely sick of winter in Winnipeg. Like it, it, I, I, Funny how that happens as we get older. Yeah, for a long time it hadn't bothered me, and then there were just some days where you know you'd have to walk to the Jets. Actually, when the, when I covered the Manitoba Moose, I had a parking spot uh, indoors by the arena, and when the Jets uh, when they be, when the Jets came back, uh, we lost that spot, so I had to actually park outside. And I could, you know, that walk from wherever I got to park in downtown Winnipeg to the arena, it was like being on Mars some days. And that was, that I, I, I was done with that. 
Uh, and then George McPhee phoned. Um, they hired Kelly McCrimmon, who had a really good relationship with. And George and I had, uh, had developed uh, uh, more of a friendship, really, than, uh, than a business relationship. Because I got to know him in the period when he wasn't a G GM. From what, when when uh, Washington fired him to before Bill Foley hired him to take over in Vegas, I, uh, he wasn't a source. So, and, but we got to know each other. And so he phoned me and said, you know what, we'd like you to come and be part of our team here. We think having, uh, you know, an experienced uh, and, uh, and well-known um, a guy and to use his word, credible uh, uh, NHL personality would be, it would be really helpful to us. And they'd hired Eric Tosi uh, away from the Boston Bruins to be VP of communications and content. And uh, Eric was, uh, you know, one of the big, big players behind the, the TV series they did there behind the B. And I was really interested in working with Eric. Uh, I, I trusted George and Kelly. And, uh, you know, it, the staff was so small that I got to do, immediately got to do a bunch of stuff that I never expected to do. I was, I was on the uh, hiring committee for our TV broadcasters and our radio broadcasters. And uh, so like they basically handed it over to Eric and I, and we worked, you know, as partners. Um, and it's a funny story. Uh, he said that he, they handed us a binder with all the people that applied for jobs. And he, he's, we made copies of it. And he said, take that home, come back tomorrow and tell me who your top three are. And that meant, you know, cause we weren't going to hire a color person for radio. Cause I was going to do that. Um, uh, meaning play by play voice for radio, play by play voice for TV and play by and color voice for, for TV. So we came back the next day and I, I didn't have an answer for radio cause I didn't get that far into the book, but I said, uh, Dave Gosher and Shane Knighty. That's who, uh, it, you know, and there were people that were other people that were on that list and real close. Um, and, you know, uh, I won't mention names, but there were other people that got, you know, this was a, a, a real long process. But at the end of it, we came back to Dave and Shane and eventually were able to hire them. And I think that they're uh, um, all due respect to, uh, uh, to all the other uh, regional teams in the NHL. They're the best, in my opinion, in terms of regional teams. Shane, so, is, sorry, go ahead. Yep. Yeah. So, so that's awesome. But like, interesting mandate, right? I know that Vegas had the Thunder in the yeah. IHL. Um, that's a far cry from NHL. It's an interesting market because you know people forget that there's life off the strip and 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 a vibrant life off the strip. Uh, so there are residents, there is life outside of casinos and hotels and restaurants. Um, clearly not a traditional hockey market, clearly not a traditional hockey hotbed, um, but a market to a certain degree, especially for locals, um, starving for a, a local team to root for above and beyond UNLV, right? So um, they come in to fit a, to fill a huge void, which is great. Um, 
but there's a massive, I would imagine, education that needs to happen. It's not plunking another team. It's not putting a team in Quebec. If the NHL announced tomorrow. Okay, so let me stop you for one sec, because this is a misconception about Vegas. So there's 2.2 million people here. Yeah. About 800,000 of those people come from Chicago East. Yep. So there's, so there's tons of people from Boston, tons of people from Detroit, tons of people from Buffalo, from Chicago, from this market knew way more about hockey than anybody gave it credit to. And Nick Kotsanika, yep. uh, the excellent columnist for NHL.com and a uh, guy who was with ESPN and uh, um, uh, sorry, Yahoo and uh, a bunch of places, yep. Detroit Free Press, uh, a, a real hockey guy, one of the one, one, top end hockey reporter. He came out for one of our preseason games, and, and I was sitting beside him. And halfway through the first period, he just looked at me and said, "This is a hockey crowd," and it was. So, um, but I interrupted you. I, I know where you're going. This was not a slam dunk. It's not that it's not a slam dunk, but it's not what people would consider a traditional like, like i said if you got hired by the new version of the quebec nordiques your job would be very different than it is in las vegas and and while there are a ton of nor'easters and and canadians who do live there um and i know for a fact because i know lots of kids my kids age who go to go to the area to play in tournaments that yeah. it is there there is a a um, let's not call it a hotbed, but there is hockey activity that was there, which obviously made it also an attractive market. But I think you would agree, and I don't know the answer to this, but I think you would agree that there was a degree, there was more education that had to go on there that was similar to call it Arizona, Florida, Tampa, Nashville, as opposed to going into, again, Quebec City. So part of your mandate, I imagine, would be in trying to educate folks on who the top players are, you know, what the games look like. Now, was it Florida when they came in? No, like I, I was at Panther games in the early days where people were, were leaving after the second period because they thought, it, you know, they thought there was halftime and we were done. Um, so no, it's not to that extent, but I would imagine there was still a mandate of, of education, indoctrination and introduction. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. But not, at the, you know, the learning curve wasn't as steep as a lot of people think it, think it was. And I will tell you this, when, when, the, when the new team in your hometown is in first place uh, in, the, in, in the conference in February and is clearly headed towards the playoffs, you get excited. And nothing is going to teach people about hockey more than people having a thirst to want to know more and understand more. So like, yeah, I've got buddies. Yeah, listen, the, the people, it's like hockey cards, right? You know what I mean? When we were kids, I knew every guy that played for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I knew every guy that played for the Montreal Canadiens because we had hockey cards and we got the, the stats that came out in the paper every Tuesday. Well, it's way easier now to, you know, to go on the internet and, and read about the team that's coming in and, <laughs> and read about the league, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so like, I, I, I think that the interest drove that, that, that education 
more so than anything else. And, uh, you know, we, I remember having discussions early on about how, you know, how much of a, how much of a, of an education element did we want to have in the broadcast? And, uh, we quickly threw that away. People wanted us to talk about hockey and they wanted us to talk about hockey at, uh, at a, at a high level. My, the, our radio partner, Dan Duva, who um, is among the very best in the league and will be a TV play-by-play guy uh, for a team soon and eventually will we'll work on a national level, uh, in, in my view. Um, and he really quickly was like, you know what? The people that are tuning in to listen to us, they're hockey fans. Let's talk about hockey. And that's, that's what we do. So, listen, like, there, there's no doubt in sports, and I don't care which one, winning cures all. So there's no question. Traditionally, expansion franchises had a a honeymoon period where, uh, especially if they built a new stadium, uh, the the newness, the CNB scene uh, element to it allowed cover for a few years while the team, you know, worked through a very shitty expansion system that allowed the team to improve you guys have set and gals have set new standards in that success came instantly um but i do find it interesting to know that uh there wasn't a degree of education and content just because yes you are going to have a you know a dedicated group of people who do know the game and you don't want to alienate them and you don't want to tick them off. Uh, at the same time, you do have people tuning in for the first time and it's not a game that they're familiar with. Um, so, you know, I have friends here in Seattle who moved here from other markets who couldn't tell you what an offside is versus, you know, an icing. They just have no clue. Uh, so there is that fine line between what do you show in a, in a break of play, how much teaching do you do and how much assuming do you do? It must've been a pretty delicate balance, at least in theory, to try and make sure that you can address both markets. Yeah, you know, the other thing too is that uh, we had October 1 and, you know, we had the shooting and, you know, 58 people died and, and that was the focus of a lot of our of our content for, for a period of time. And then it was- is that really right? Big. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then we got to this point where people were like, you know, they needed a place to, uh, to get away from everything yeah. and watching this, this team that was actually Vegas born, that wasn't transplanted. That was, you know, that was, that, you know, Bill Foley wrote a, a wrote a $550 million check or 500 million, whatever it was, I forget a big check regardless to, you know, and, and went in with some other people to build a rink, uh, you know, and now that they've got this V on their jersey that represents your town yeah. and they're winning, um, it, uh, like, there was a thirst to, to know everything about the Golden Knights and to know everything about the NHL that just got, you know, there was a lot of a lot of variables went in to make it a really um, to, to make it a cocktail that was very potent right from the very beginning. So 
we're sitting here today in December. We're a week away, a week and a day away from 2021. The NHL announced, I believe it was yesterday, upcoming dates for the next season, uh, maybe in the day before. Included in that were the final date of the Stanley Cup. I believe that was July 9th. I could be wrong. Um, and then dates for entry draft and expansion draft. And that means that we're almost in January. And that means July is seven months away. Go, uh, the Kraken have done a killer job in terms of merchandise and name. Um, the stuff is amongst the top selling merchandise in North America right now. And, and with the exception of Ron Francis, um, who to hockey fans is a known name, but in this market is, you know, may as well be nobody. Uh, there is no face of the franchise. Um, there is no voice of the franchise and the local media. There's, there's but one person who works at the athletic who covered the avalanche a couple seasons before there's nobody who's ever covered the NHL full time. It is a vacant land or landscape right now in, in terms of media. It's interesting because it's a, it's a time when, as we talked about in the first part of this show, media is craving for new audience and for eyeballs. Uh, it seems to me there's a massive opportunity for print radio and TV to capture this. Uh, we've just seen no signs of it yet. What do you think their first move should be as an organization as we start getting closer very quickly to players and coaches coming on board? Well, you know, the state of newspapers is such that you, you know, you don't, you don't know if they're going to have the funds to travel to cover your team. Um, you know, you, you, you really, it, it, it's interesting. What business lets an external business profit off of delivering your message and has complete creative control over how they're going to, like, who would start a business that way? Who would say, you know what, we're going to sell cars and we're only going to let the, the, the TV and radio stations and newspaper tell our story about the cars? No, we're going to tell our story, which is, you know, that was part of, you know, we built a robust content team here to, you know, hired our own broadcasters, um, hired writers, hired social media people, and, you know, put together a, a incredible entertainment team that supports the social, the, the, the content side as well. Like yesterday, for instance, Derek England retired. Yeah. We put out, uh, we collected a ton of video messages uh, from players and GMs around the league about Derek. I did a podcast with Derek and his wife, Melissa. I wrote a column. Uh, we, you know, like we, the place yesterday to go for information with all due respect to everybody else that did nice stuff yesterday, the place to go for the bulk of it was VegasGoldenKnights.com. That, and so to me, it, it, you know, you can't, whatever the newspaper in Seattle does or the, whatever, whoever your RSN is and whoever, uh, whatever radio stations, what, what they do and whatever the athletic does, you know, don't count on that. You know, Jerry Bruckheimer, who knows content better than him? 
you know, uh, go out and hire really good people, uh, hire a really good writer. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been part of the mandate here from day one. And I've been given a ton of support from George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon. We've been, you know, you get access that no one else gets. Um, you know, listen, if you want to read the column that says the coach should be fired, you're not going to get that from the team site. But if you want to find out why a guy is struggling or what he's going through, the, the team, team employees are going to get access that no one else has. And especially now with COVID, like no one's going to be in a dressing room this year, sidling up to a player at his, at his stall saying, Hey, what, you know, what's going on in your life right now. And I'm not sure that happens next year. I'm not sure it ever happens again. You know, you think about it, the, 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 uh, the viability of a team is, is underpinned by the health of a team and you're letting complete strangers who have colds, flu, whatever, strep throat, walk into your dressing room and breathe all over your players. Like uh, I'm not advocating for that not to happen, but uh, I also can understand why uh, general managers and and health professionals around teams are going to be like, "Hey, wait a minute, we we got to look at this procedure real close to decide how we're going to do this uh, going forward." Um, obviously, that you know, you we the, the media is important. Professional Hockey Writers Association is important. You know, they do great things. Uh, they'll have to come to a, a, some form of an accommodation. But I don't know when that happens. So uh, you, you, having content created by your own organization, to me, critical to this piece. So, so I get that. When I lived in Detroit 100 years ago, there was, I believe, two all-sports radio stations, plus you had JR and WWJ, who also had some sports properties. And WDFN tagline at the time, because they didn't have the sport, they, they tried to turn a negative into a positive by saying, you know, they were the only sports town sports. They're only sports outlet in town that wasn't bought and paid for by the home team. Yeah. Uh, in Canada, um, you know, the Blue Jays, especially um, those who work at Rogers outlets are tainted by being owned by Rogers. Um, yeah. Despite numerous validations that nobody's ever told what to say or what not to say, the outlet is owned by the owners. So I think you'd agree that, yes, it's absolutely critical. Um, and I think it is a massive pivot, by the way, that teams and leagues are starting to become as dominant and controlling and creating the story. Uh, when it comes to critique and analysis, that needs to come from outside voices. Yeah, for sure. But listen, there's room for everybody. No, that's right. No, no, that's right. So, you know what I mean? It, right. you, you don't expect the Chinese restaurant to serve great pizza Correct. and you don't expect the, the Italian restaurant to have great egg rolls, That's but you right. want to be able to go to both places. So I expect that my team or the local team, when there's a trade transaction or news story is going to be the one to discuss it at a certain level. But the analysis that I want at the end of the day is from the best writer on that topic to tell me the history of what happened, why it's important. And then what they don't always like to do is if they're ripping it, why and what they would propose as an alternative. And a lot of reporters don't like to do that. So, you know, 
in my opinion, here in Seattle, we sit here, there's, there's no experience, there's no real full-time experience on hand. The season is about to start and nobody here right now is capturing the potential because in seven months, one guy off every roster is going to be moving here. And those players from other teams, those other teams are going to start playing here in eight, nine months. And there's just this vast opportunity where Seattle, those of us who didn't grow up and love the game could be getting indoctrinated into it, understanding the rules, understanding the who, why this is important. And nobody's doing that right now. And I find that really fascinating. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, like for a really good writer or a really good, you know, analyst or whatever, you know, you're looking at a salary from anywhere from, you know, uh, 150 to 250,000, then you got to give them a travel budget. Uh, so it's not cheap. Now that's the other thing, you know, people talk about content. Um, I'll give a Golden Knights credit. They have invested heavily in, uh, in putting together a really good content team. And yeah, you're, you know, listen, again, I'm not going to be the guy that says they should never have fired Gerard Glant. They should, you know, that they should, uh, they should, you know, never have traded this guy or they, or whatever. That's not, I work for Kelly McCrimmon. Yeah. So criticizing his moves is, uh, is, is not going to be, but I can analyze the move and I can break it down and explain, you know, there's, there are different layers and different levels that, that I think I can provide from the inside that I don't think a guy on the outside can provide. And, you know, you got, you, you have to be good at your job. Like there's analysis out there. Does that mean it's good analysis? There's crap out there. There's, <laughs> there's also great analysis, right? But there is some stuff. I was listening to, to NHL network the other day. And a guy was talking about why the Golden Knights needed to trade Max Pacioretty. They don't, um, you know, that we're, we'll be cap compliant without taking anybody from our roster. Uh, and, and the fact that the Golden Knights, if they, if the team should be lining up to make that deal because the return would be negligible. Like you wouldn't have to give anything away to get Max Pacioretty. I almost puked. Like this was like there was this was the worst chunk of reporting and analysis that I that I had heard in a long time. So again, like yes, I understand the need for it, and I love reading great analysis. But just because you say you're uh, you're you are providing an analysis, and anyone can do it, by the way, anyone can has you know you have started. Uh, an excellent uh, site, but no one hired you to do that. No one, you know, you don't have to have a, a, a designation that says you're a professional journalist or, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, if you want to be a lawyer, you got to go to law school and you got to pass the bar. You want to talk about hockey and criticize the general manager, fill your boots, baby. The world's your oyster. You just, just, just figure out how to start a site or a podcast or get a job at a radio station or a newspaper. Or just get on Twitter. It's even easier. Point. You just made my point way better than I did. And you did it in four seconds. (laughs) So that's an interesting discussion that we're going to have to have another day. And that is that, you know, what you're advocating 
and I'm not saying you're wrong, um, is a really interesting topic. And that is the shift to the voice being controlled by the teams. Um, very different. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this. If you, let me just let me just finish my point really quickly. Yeah. If you covered the Jets the first time around, if you look at the franchise before they left and, and moved moved out and then, you know, so Jets V1, if you will. Yeah. Your current role with the night, the Golden Knights didn't exist. No, they did no. not create content. No, you wanted to know about the trade. If you wanted to know about anything, you had to go to the free press or listen to you on the radio yep. to get that information. It is a seismic shift. For sure. And debatable, as you can imagine, right? Whether it's all positive or, you know, give and take. Yeah. Um, given that there is, as you said, you're not going to be critical. That's not your role. No, but, uh, but I'll say this one other thing. I will be right all the time because I have to be. You, I'm going to correct you and say that you will be accurate. Accurate, correct. Sorry, I will be accurate. And I can tell you that I wrote and said stuff about the Winnipeg Jets that was inaccurate because, A, you, you, didn't, always have the, you didn't always have the pipeline to Kevin Cheveldeff. And there's tons of people on sports radio and writing for newspapers that have no desire to, to pick up the phone and try and get a hold of the general manager and ask him questions. Or more importantly, you know, the, there's one extreme where there's somebody out there who started during one of the lockouts who literally used to just throw everything against the wall and whatever stuck, stuck and said, yep, I predicted it. Yeah. And then there's, there are smart reporters out there who understand the game and understand clicks and know how to write for clicks irrespective of the veracity of which they write yeah and then there are people like michael russo and uh yeah yeah 100 and scott burnside and eric dehatrick and uh on and on and on i just didn't name a bunch of people from the athletic that you have to follow and you have to read you know what i mean and and you know, Elliot Friedman has to be right because if he's not, or he has to be accurate because if he's not, his phone doesn't get answered. And, and uh, the next time around, and I'll say this, there are insiders out there right now that play the long game. And there are insiders out there that play the short game. And it is amazing to see the difference in the, the standard of veracity from one to the next. And... It, that that Bob McKenzie, the master of playing the long game, and never, never inaccurate, right? Bob Bob got it on the you know through a bullseye nine out of ten times, and the, the, it, it, there's a real there's a difference out there right now. Well, there's there's though there, there's what social media and especially Twitter have done is brought a massive value to first not right yeah so speed yeah. comes at the at the expense of of accuracy and the credo at tsm when i got there one of the first things ken volden said to me when he when he hired me was uh hey we like being first but we demand that you are right so be right 
before your first. And uh, so that's, I mean, yeah, I guess my point, and, and I'd love to have this discussion with you down the road, you know, the yeah. whole discussion about the pivot, the transition to teams controlling a message versus traditional media is that right now in this market, I find there is a massive opportunity, a unique opportunity here in Seattle for call it print, whether it's digital or ink, uh, radio and TV to lay the foundation to generate a, to get an early start on accessing what is going to be a dominant player in the Kraken. And so far I've seen no evidence that any of the outlets are paying attention yeah. or are interested in developing that audience. Well, you got a, you got a major league baseball team there and an NFL team, right? So um, the, it was different in Vegas in that uh, there was, uh, the landscape was pretty flat, right? And there was an opportunity to build things here. And I don't disagree with you. To me. Don't, don't, don't. I mean, listen, you know, I lived in Miami. I've lived in other markets. Yeah. The NFL is the NFL. So the Seahawks are the Seahawks. Yep. Uh, here we have the Sounders and I'm not going to discount them. Uh, they have a huge following and I'm not sure there's actually a professional franchise who's been more successful than they have over the last four or five years. Um, but you know, the, the, the Mariners entered the same year as the Blue Jays and they're still waiting for their first championship. And, you know, the Mariners didn't suffer at the turnstile all much, all that much this year, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, winning, as we started with winning cures all, and they haven't done that yet. Um, so, you know, there is a massive void here that is going to be captured. I think it's interesting that uh, media outlets don't appear ready to invest in trying to grow what is going to come and take advantage of what's going to be a really interesting season to start getting ahead of things when they could. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe um, you'll find your own Bill Simmons there, right? Remember, right. He, what was he called? The sports guy yeah. in Boston at some point in time that maybe there's a guy that, uh, or a woman, a person that can really, uh, you know, put their, plant their flag and have a great success. Well, I really appreciate you doing this, Gary. It's been awesome. We now have a topic for next time. And that is, you know, the evolution from traditional external media to teams taking control of the voice um you your colleagues the organization there i think you know in my opinion have set the bar very high uh for seattle i think they're going to make it i think that the the pressure on francis and others is going to be immense um it's rare to say that the expectation on a, on a uh expansion franchise is playoffs in year one there is no question that's the expectation here uh, I will say it nope. right now that if the Kraken don't make the playoffs in year one, it'll be a disappointment because you, well, you've set the bar very high. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I would, you know what, we need to talk about that because I would disagree with that. I think that, you know, the goal is to win a Stanley Cup, not to make the playoffs. And we haven't won a Stanley Cup yet. So uh, um, that race isn't over. Uh, Seattle is going to be a great franchise. And Ron Francis already is one of the best general managers in the NHL. Oh, that wasn't a knock. I'm just saying know, expectations are high. Expectations, you know, the, the cost and all that, everything's been done first rate and we are very optimistic. I'm just saying when that puck drops, we're not expecting what we used to get in Florida, Tampa and other places where the home team was getting spanked eight, nothing. 
you know, and, and won 10 games. We're expecting competitive hockey night one. And a, a lot of that comes from what you guys have done down there in all aspects, you know, fan presentation, media coverage, uh, certainly stadium, all that. So you guys, it's, it's a credit. You've set the bar high. And I think that's awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I got to jump on a call. All right. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.